How you guys doing? You doing good? Thank you very much for the beautiful weather you've put on. I've been very impressed. Uh, Pastor Todd has some serious influence in heaven and uh, made it all good for the last couple of days. So, but always enjoy our time here at Eastside and looking forward to be a part of the uh, volunteer banquet tonight and celebrating with all the volunteers, all the people that make church happen. It's going to be amazing. And so all of you that have registered and are coming, we're having a brilliant time and, and uh, sad for the people who didn't because uh, you're going to miss it. And apparently Angel Gabriel and Michael are coming, um, serving as caviar and lobster. Uh, tonight, but you've missed it. So anyway, that may be a slight exaggeration, but it's going to be good. It's always good to celebrate volunteers. We love you and we appreciate you. Um, I noticed in Pastor Todd's introduction today, uh, he did not mention uh, that we got to play squash yesterday. We went out and played six games of squash yesterday at squash court together. And uh, um, I would tell you how it went. I'm far too humble. I am far too humble to tell you the score. And so um, if you want to find out the score, I'd suggest you talk to him uh, later and ask you, hey, Pastor, how did you go yesterday playing those six games of squash with John? Uh, turn with me to the book of John uh, 6 0. Um, no, that's not where I'm going. That may have been the squash score. I don't know how that slipped in there. I swear to you, I was going to preach out the book of John, chapter 6, 0. But then I went to John, chapter 6, and realized there's not a verse 0. So maybe we should go to Ephesians, chapter 1. Let's go to Ephesians, chapter 1. Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 15. Ephesians 1, verse 15. It says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, revelation in the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. I want to do a message today that I've uh, simply entitled Starbucks Lovers. Not necessarily an endorsement of the brand, just the title of my message. But before we get into it, let's just pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. And Lord God, I thank you uh, for the men and women that have come here this morning. Lord, I thank you that your word is alive and powerful and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and able to get into our areas of our life where nothing else can penetrate. We thank you that your word never, ever returns void. You always have an agenda. And I'm asking you, God, that I would hear your prophetic whisper to be able to tailor-make this message and this service to the people who have come. 
I thank you that your Bible declares that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And so I pray, God, that you would reward uh, the men and women here this morning, that they would leave better than when they came in, that you would do something great in our life here today. More than anything, God, I pray, oh Jesus, please help me not to be boring. And I pray for the people that are here today, God, help them not to be boring either, because that would be horrible in Jesus' name. And everyone said, how many people think that's a good deal? (laughs) That's cool. Just by a show of hands, have you ever been in a situation where you were convinced that you were absolutely correct, only to find out that you were totally wrong. Anybody ever been in that scenario? You're like, yeah. Um, I have three daughters. My uh, eldest daughter, Sharia, uh, then Chloe is the middle daughter. They both live in Tacoma, Washington. They're based at Champion Center with Pastor Kevin and Sheila Gerald. And then uh, my youngest daughter, Brooke, is with us in Chicago. She turns 18 uh, this year, and her prime responsibility and role in life is to rule and reign uh, my world. And so, love my girls, love my girls, and uh, blessed to be uh, their, their dad. And, and now, my dad was a good dad, uh, but I never, ever uh, recall thinking that my dad was cool. Nice. Not real cool. Uh, now, me, on the other hand, I'd like to be the cool dad, if I could. And so I'm always striving uh, not to be awkward dad, to try to somehow be, be, be cool dad. That's sort of like my, my big goal in life. And, and my, my daughter, Brooke, and I were shooting off to Indiana uh, a while back, going to church, and just cruising down the freeway, hanging out. I always enjoy her company. And so I, I, I thought, you know, just to be cool, I, I, I put the radio on and play some tunes. And so we, we, we were flicking through the radio station and just looking for some music. And I turned the volume up pretty loud, much louder than this. is. I turned it right up. And, uh, yeah, it's a little bit too wide. But I turned it up a little bit more, you know, kept the volume cranking. Just looking for the right station. And then... Oh, yeah. Bit of Taylor Swift. Little bit of Tay-Tay. Turn the volume up for me. And then, I love those Starbucks lovers. Just started singing, you know, along with the tune. Cruising down the freeway. Daughter in the car. Wind in our hair, you know. Young and reckless. And it's, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, as we're, we're driving along, I'm looking at her. And she's looking at me like this, you know. And, and then I'm like, you know. I love those Starbucks lovers, they'll tell you I'm insane. I got a blank space, baby, and I'll write your name. And for a moment, I gotta admit, I felt pretty fly for a white guy. And I looked at my daughter, and she looked at me with not the look of, wow, Dad, you're so cool. She looked at me exactly like I used to look at my dad when he was trying to be cool. And she said to me, Dad, I said, what, baby? You know that's not the words. I'm like, what? She goes, you know the words of the song are not Starbucks lovers. You heard the song. It's Starbucks lovers. So I said to her, sweetheart, yes, it is. It is Starbucks lovers. It's Starbucks lovers. She goes, no, Dad. The word is, I've got a long list of ex-lovers. I'm like, 
No, no, because I, like, I hadn't seen the video, but it played out in my head. A young couple down at a local Starbucks with a grande, you know, caramel, frappuccino, with an extra shot of, you know, espresso, extra caramel, some drizzle on the side, just one cup, two straws, just looking at each other's face, and she's written his name on the blank space of the cup, John. And she said, no, Dad, the word is long list of ex-lovers. I said, baby, that's not even intelligent. There's no room, even on a vente. There's not enough room on a vente to write a long list of ex-lovers. It could be one lover, two lovers, maybe three. But there's no way. You can't fit a long list of ex-lovers on the side of a Starbucks cup. There's just not enough room. It's not what it is. It's Starbucks lovers. I know what I'm talking about. I'm a youth communicator. I travel all over communicating to young people. And she's like, no, it's not that. And so we did what every parent and, and child does today to solve the dispute. We Googled it, and I was wrong. I was wrong, couldn't believe it. And and here's the strange thing. When I heard the song the next time, I never heard the line, Starbucks lovers ever again. It was like, how did I ever? And actually, then I started feeling pretty cool because when all my friends my age were like, oh, no, no, Starbucks lovers, I was able to go to them, hey, that's not the words. Everybody can hear the words long list of ex-lovers. I become like a Tay-Tay professional, you know. And, and so there's this principle in life that you, you often don't see it until you see it. But then once you see it, it's like you can't unsee it, and then you tend to see it everywhere. I'm not if you've ever, ever had that experience where you purchase a vehicle and then you go driving on the freeway. And then you never really saw that car anywhere else before. But it's like you got on the freeway and it's like everyone else has bought that car now. Like same make, same model, even some way, same color. And you start to think to yourself, I think I'm a bit of a trendsetter. Like I, I think people are following my, my direction. No, that, that car was out there before. But it's this principle you don't see it until you see it. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. And then you tend to see it everywhere. I had this happen to me over Christmas. I was uh, uh, out buying my wife a new phone, and I parked in a parking lot at a strip mall, walked across the road to the Verizon store, got her a phone, came back. When I went to get into my car, there's a large yellow clamp on the left tire at the front of my vehicle. And there's a little note in the door saying, if you leave the lot, we clamp your tire. And I look up, and they're standing at the front, of my car is Clamp Man. And he looks at me, he says, Sir, is this your car? And I said to him, Yeah, is that your clamp? And he's like, Yeah, it is my clamp. I said, What is it doing on my tire? He goes, Sir, if you leave the parking lot, we're going to clamp your tire. And I said to him, Well, how much does it cost to get it off? He said, $140. I'm thinking, I could drive with that on there. It'll make a bit of a thud, but just turn the radio up. It just drowns everything else out. And $140. So I said to him, listen, I wouldn't be so frustrated if you had some warnings out here, but it seems unfair that you just clamp my tire without any warning. And so he's like, well, sir, what about the sign right in front of you? I swear to you, I do this thing. That's all. I just got to move my head from here to here. 
And right in front of where I parked the car is this huge sign, leave the lot, we clamp your tire. And then I noticed them all down the wall, like about eight feet apart. There's all these signs all the way down the wall. So I said to him, yeah, I can see it there now, but, but it's recessed on the wall. You've got these poles on the outside the wall. I think it would be fairer if you took it off the wall where it's fairly hidden and put it on the pole where it'd be clearly obvious. To which he responded, that may be true, sir, but you walked past a rather large one on the way out of the lot. And I turned to where I walked across to the Verizon store. I swear to you, this thing is about 10 foot by 10 foot. This massive, huge sign, monstrous sign, leave the lot, we'll clamp your tire. And it's got a picture of a tire and, and a clamp and clamp man with his horns and his tail and his pitchfork putting the clamp on, 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 on the tire of the car. And then I looked around the parking lot and they were everywhere. Now, I know that they didn't supernaturally appear on the command of Clamp Man. They're already there, but I just didn't see them. Why? Because you don't see it until you see it. But once you see it, you can't unsee it, and then you tend to see it everywhere. It's the principle in the Bible of revelation. Now, Paul understood this principle personally. When, when, when Paul shows up on the, 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 the Bible narrative, Paul is not hanging out in here with us. Paul, Paul's not doing church with the Christians. He's outside waiting for you to leave to yell abuse at you. He's that person at work that once they find out that you are a Christian, make it their life mission to make your life miserable. He's that person at work that every time they know that you're a Christian and you do something that's apparently not Christian, they're like, oh, I thought you were a Christian. And they're there to remind you how bad. That Paul, when he shows up on the Bible narrative, hears of Christians dying and celebrates it because he has no connection to the church. But then he has this encounter with Jesus. He's on his way to persecute a church, gets knocked off his high horse, has a revelation of Jesus, sees Jesus in a way that he's never seen Jesus before and radically changed his life forever. So Paul understands this principle. You don't see it until you see it. But once you see it, it's like you can't unsee it. You see it everywhere, and then it tends to change you forever. So Paul's prayer that he's praying here in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 for the church at, at Ephesus, he's praying for a, personal, a, a prayer of personal revelation. He's praying for a prayer of illumination. He's praying that the church at Ephesus would get this accentuation, understanding who Jesus is and seeing him in a way that they've never ever seen him before. Look what it says here. It says, I also, when I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, Paul is writing to the church. He's not praying to people that have never experienced Jesus. He's not writing to his unsafe friends. He's not writing to his friends who are far away from God and says, hey, listen, I, I, I know you're far away from God, but when I pray for you, 
I pray that, that God would open up your eyes and you would see him in a way. Now, that's a legit prayer. That's a, that's a good prayer, but this is not Paul's prayer here. Paul's prayer here is, when I hear of your faith and your fellowship with one another. So who's he praying for? He's praying for you. He's praying for us. He's praying for the church. These are people that are saved. These are people that are in church. And these are people that are connected in Christian community. They're attending church. They're in a connect group. They've done a belong track. They've got involved in, you know, volunteerism. They're celebrating at the volunteer banquet. These are people that are locked in to mission. They're locked into purpose. They're locked into community. They're locked into church. And Paul says, when I, when I, when I think about you, when I mention you in my prayers, when, when, you, when you come to my mind, I pray that God would give you a spirit of revelation. And he starts to pray that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. In other words, that, that, that God would take a flashlight and illuminate it on their heart, that they would start to see God in a way that they've never ever seen Him before and experiencing Him in a way that they've never experienced Him before. Paul understands these things. He understands that you, you can't really see Jesus. You can't really see him based on someone else's understanding. You can't really see Jesus clearly based on someone else's description, someone else's experience, someone else's idea. You need to have your own personal encounter with Christ. J Jesus asked the disciples, he said, uh, who do men say? that I, the Son of Man, am. Everyone had an opinion. Their opinions varied. They differed. Jeremiah, you know, uh, Elijah, uh, what, what, one, one person like John the Baptist, uh, the guy who had no clue says, uh, one of the prophets. Like that, that's, like, that's like an answer you give when you have no answer to give the answer to. The old one of them. There's a whole swag of prophets there. You're bound to be one of them. I'm not sure which one. And Chuck your face in there. Wouldn't it have been good if you could go through life and that would actually be an answer? Like in a multiple choice, one of them would actually be like, like, like what's five times five? One of the numbers. <laughs> See, I would have known that, but one of the numbers helps out. You know, there's a lot. Pick one. One's bound to fit in there. Or like, you know, you're doing like history. Who discovered America? Uh, Captain Cook, uh, Christopher Columbus, or... Dora or one of the explorers. It's like, I'm not sure which one, bound to be an explorer, throw it in there, it's all going to be good, you know. And, and so, so it, they have no idea. Then Jesus turns around and says to them, okay, who do you say that I am? Out of nowhere, Peter says, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Have you ever had one of those moments as a Christian where you just said something unbelievably spiritual and you thought to yourself, where did that come from? Ever had that? Ever had that moment like you're, count, you're chatting to somebody about God, and then you just say something unbelievably just like, Whoa, and you want to take a note <laughs> because that's never entered your head? This is what Paul's, uh, Peter's having. He's having one of those aha moments. He says, well, you're the Christ. You're the Jesus said to him, Peter, flesh and blood, you didn't get that in your conversation with your mates. The, the, the one of the prophets guy didn't reveal this to you. The John the Baptist guy didn't reveal it. You've got to understand, these are people that are walking with Jesus every day. 
They are talking with Jesus every day. They are praying with Jesus every day. They're watching him do miracles. They're watching him minister to people. They're experiencing, and then they go away, and they're having a chat amongst themselves. Who do you think he is? And they're trying to work it all out. So they're seeing that they've got a God experience, but they don't really see him for who he really is. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is what Paul's talking about. Eyes of your understanding being enlightened, getting wisdom, getting revelation, getting knowledge, the light coming on. He says, my, my Father in heaven revealed this to you. Then he says, this is a principle that I built my church on. Now, he, he has a play on Peter's name. He, his name meant little rock, a little stone. He says, Peter, right now at this moment, He said, you're like a little stone, easily moved, easily kicked to the curb, easily manipulated. He says, but when you get revelation, and he changes the word, he says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And that meant an immovable rock, a bedrock, a cliff. It's like you are a little stone, a little pebble, easily moved. But when, when you move from sort of like this concept to revelation, it's a game changer. It changes everything and makes you immovable. It says that sort of a church will penetrate hell. It, it, it's, a, it's a church that's built on a personal revelation, not on somebody else's information. Paul understood this. He said that you, you can't really see Jesus clearly if you, if you get, end up getting lost in the cool stuff. Peter, James, and John were on a mountain with Jesus. Then all of a sudden, Jesus was transfigured, and like holograms of Moses and Elijah rocked up on the mountain. They're now chatting with Old Testament heroes. They're blown away. Peter never wants to get out of this moment. And overwhelmed, he says, let's build tabernacles. Let's just stay here. This is a, we, we really, we, we love this. The Bible says that God had to overshadow them so they saw, saw no one but Jesus. Why? Because it wasn't about Moses and it wasn't about Elijah and it wasn't about the cool stuff that God was using all of that to reveal the prophet role, the priest role, the old, he he was showing these, these, these spiritual principles about giving more of a revelation of Christ, but Peter was getting lost in the moment. Mary and Joseph lost Jesus in a cool moment. They're at the festival, they're coming home from the celebration, and, and, and on their way home, they lose Jesus, lose him for three days. Three days they lose your only job, look after the Son of God, and you lose him for three days. I want to tell you, that scripture gave me a lot of hope. I have massive ADHD, and I'm always losing stuff. I lost my glasses once for 30 minutes and found them on my face. That's a true story. True story. I'm always losing my keys. I'm always losing my wallet. I got a friend of mine. He's massively organized. If he can't find his wallet, he cancels credit cards immediately. 
If I lose my wallet, I'm just temporarily disconnected for a while. It'll show up. It's somewhere obvious. Like I put my black wallet on the black bench under the black curtain or something like that. It's, it's somewhere crazy like that. And so, and so it gave me great hope. Because you know, you know, if I lose my keys, it's you know that's that's not that's not so bad. But when your only job is savior of the planet to look after him, and you lose him for three days, you have ADD. I'm telling you, they, you have ADD. God uses people with ADD. I I, I think that's great because at least I can pray, God, where is my keys? And I can pray, God, where is my wallet? But when you lose God. <laughs> So they lose him in the celebration, in the festival. You, you can't really see Jesus if you get lost in, in, in the cool stuff. Like, like church today. I love church today. Church is cool. Church today is cool. It's better than it's ever been. I know some people like, go back in the 70s. No, this is great today. Church is awesome. We've got, like, look at the screen. We've got this massive, big, cool video screen where you can put graphics and you can put video and you can have, it's it's just awesome. When I got saved, we had the overhead transparency. Anybody remember the overhead transparency? It's like a little box in the corner, a little thing up there, and they'd take pieces of plastic and they'd write the words to songs by hand. And sometimes their, their writing was illegible. And sometimes they would put the, 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 the screen upside down, like the words upside down. And you thought you were singing in tongues, but you were just singing illegible words upside down. Services used to go for three hours or more, and they weren't good. They had moments that you knew what was coming. Worst moment of church was the testimony moment. Anybody remember the testimony moment? We go, anybody got a testimony? And you get brother Jack would get up on the stage. Now Jack's testimony is God blessed him with a job this week. All Jack would need to do is get up and go, oh, I got a testimony. God blessed me with a job this week. Let's give him some glory. People could pray, praise and get off. That's all he had to do. But Jack would inevitably get up and do the traditional testimony. He would get up and he'd go, well, praise the Lord. Glory be to Jesus, blessed be his holy name. Uh, I don't really know where to start. I was born uh, many years ago, a place called Townsville, North Queensland, to my parents, Thelma and George Morgan. Thelma was the daughter of uh, Jack and Nellie Keys, and Jack and Nellie lived in Cowra. Cowra is a city just about two or three hours south of Sydney and in Australia, I'm not sure if you've ever been to Australia before, it's quite a large nation, has kangaroos, kangaroos jump a lot, and uh, meat's actually pretty good, it's lean, and so it's quite good, but you've got to cook it a special way, you just can't boil it, it'll be tough like boot leather, and they go on, on and on, and they go for like 30 minutes of the testimony, oh yeah, that's what I come up here for, oh God gave me a job this week, praise God. <laughs> It's just, just, it was just terrible. terrible. It was just, and it went forever and ever. And then some of the songs, like we have cool songs today, but back then, some of the songs, people were like, we need to sing the old songs. No, burn them, destroy them. They weren't good. <laughs> we had this one song. We had this one song, and the words were, joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart. There's nothing that's going to challenge your manhood. 
Let me just speak to the men right now. There's nothing challenges your manhood than singing in church going, joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart, from the castle of my heart, from the castle of my heart. There is no testosterone flowing when you're singing that song. It's all estrogen. Joy is the flag flown, and, and the chorus was let it fly in the sky, let the whole world know. And that was the cue for people to grab their handkerchiefs and rip them out, and, 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 and they would let it fly in the sky, let the whole world and they would, And it wouldn't matter if it was flu season, handkerchiefs are out, and they're just... People be dancing, and, and it was horrible. And, and then they'd have the spirit dances. The spirit dances would come out, and they'd have banners, and they'd have like these spirit moves that they would have. I learned some of them, like this one is like Milk the Very Tall Cow. And, and they'd, have, they'd have all these spirit moves. It was just terrible. They loved Jesus, you know, but it was just, it was, it was just oh. And was, but I love the songs today. I, I, and, and the seats weren't comfortable, and the buildings, oh, it was just, church is great. We've got more resources today than any other generation before us. I've got like multiple Bibles on my phone with concordances. Fifteen years ago, you'd have to have a wheelbarrow full of books <laughs> to just catch what you've got on your phone. And if you don't like reading it, it'll read itself to you. We're the most spoiled, blessed generation ever to be in church. I, I, I love church. I love church. It's great. But you, but you can't get lost in the stuff. Paul's prayer was for a prayer of personal revelation. Paul's prayer was a prayer that they would, that they would know him so that they could know themselves. In other words, that they would that they would experience Jesus in such a way that it would create supernatural change in them. Look what he says. He says that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would know, that you would know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So what's Paul saying? He says that you may know. It's like, I, I, I know you know, but there's some stuff that you don't know. And on, most times you never know what you don't know because you can't know what you don't know because you don't know it. If you knew it and you knew that you didn't know it, then you would know what you didn't know. But when you don't know what you don't know, you can't know what you don't know. So you need to get to know what you don't know and discover things that you don't know about God that you go, I didn't know that before, but now I know it now. And in knowing it changes you forever. This is Paul's prayer, that there's a knowing, there's, that, there's stu- that, that, that the, 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 the understanding of Jesus is, is inexhaustible. You can't run out of that experience. And he's praying that they, would, that they would get a revelation of Christ that would literally change them forever. You see, when, you're, when your revelation is limited to another man's understanding, then your life change is limited to another man's behavior. When, 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 your, when your revelation of Jesus is based on someone else's experience with him, then your life change is directed by what you see them doing and what you see them not doing. 
And so our Christianity tends to be built on, on rules and regulations, the do's and the don't do's. And so there are certain things that certain churches emphasize. Some churches emphasize the way you dress. Some, some churches you go to, if you're not wearing a suit on Sunday, then, then you, you, you're really not, not, not saved. If you don't sing a song a certain way, then you're really not uh, of God. And so rules and regulations start to transpire. And a lot of our life change happens out of things that are more behavioral rather than revelation. Because let's be real, there's a certain expectation that unsaved and saved people have of Christians. Well, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? Well, it means that you don't get drunk. It means that you don't smoke cigarettes. It means you don't do drugs. It means that you don't cuss. It means you don't sleep around. There, there are certain behaviors that if you were to do, people are like, oh, I thought you were a Christian. Because it's behavioral and not heart transformation. And so when we get saved and our experience is shallow, then we tend to change our behavior based on Christian behavior that's connected to what other people are doing. And I would put it to you that it's not necessarily easy, but some of that behavior is easier than other behavior to change. I used to smoke two packets of cigarettes a day. And so I, I wouldn't say it was easy to give up smoking, but it was a lot easier than some of the other things that I needed to change. I used to go out drinking every day to get drunk. I wouldn't drink socially, I drank to get drunk. And, and so I stopped drinking and getting drunk as a part of my Christian transformation. Again, I wouldn't say it was easy, but it was easier than some of the other things. Stop cussing, sleeping around. All those things that are built on behavior are, are things that we change because they are expectations built, not on what we see in Christ, but what we see in others. When our, when our revelation is lost in the stuff, then your life change can get limited to the moment that the stuff is in. So we, we, we become Sunday Christians or event Christians. We, we, we don't live real Christian Monday to Saturday. We have very low, you know, prayer life, very low devotional life, very low worship life. But when we pop into that parking lot, hallelujah. Hallelujah, blessed be his holy name. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And we break out the Christian ease. Hallelujah, praise God. How you doing, brother? I'm blessed and highly favored. And we start to say, you know, all the Christian words, and we've got our Christian Bible, and we've got our honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker on the back of the car, you know. And we walk in, we, we know how to celebrate and sing all the songs. And then, then you walk into the parking lot, drive out, and then you're, eh, get off the road. You're still like... <laughs> Because we're event, we're event Christians, or, or our, we, we love the camp, and we love, we, we love the conferences, because we, in those moments we can come in and we experience, but, but the rest of our life has a very low-grade God connection. Paul understands this, and so he prays that they would get their own personal revelation of Christ, because when you see Him, it tends to give you a reflection of you. If I look at your behavior as a Christian, and when I look at you, you're not drinking, you're not smoking, and I'm going to be like you. The same principle happens when you see him. When you see him, then you see yourself in the reflection of him. Then you want to change yourself. Job, Job, said, Job said this. Job said, I've heard of you 
by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. Job said, I've heard of what everyone else said about you. I heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. And look what, look, what, look what he says. He says, and I abhor myself and I repent. He said, I heard of you by what everyone else was saying. And my, my life was driven on everyone else's behavior. But in this moment, I, I saw you for my own, my own revelation. He said that when I saw you, I saw me. And when I saw me, I didn't like what I saw. I actually hate what I saw. And so I repent because I never saw that before. I've been carrying that issue for a long time, but I never even realized I had that issue. Smoking is easy to give up. Rebellion, less so. Drinking is easy to give up. Being opinionated, less so. Drugs are easy to give up. Judging everybody else, less so. There are certain things that we have in our life, certain behaviors we're not even aware we have. And they dictate how we do life and often dictate how people respond to us in life. But we don't know we've got them until we see him. Some years ago, I was, I was with some friends and we uh, were ministering in Houston, Texas. It's one of my first trips to America and we, we, we got out in the morning and they picked us up early and we were going to the Galleria. The Galleria is like a very fancy mall and it had very expensive shops. I'd never been to a mall like that before. You know you've not been to a mall like that before when you walk into the first shop and said to the guy, how much is that Versace shirt? And he says, it's Versace. <laughs> I know, I was just checking. And, uh, but but I, what, what I, I went around all day and every shop I went into, it was like the shop assistant treated me rudely. They just looked at me, summed me up, and then they, they just discounted me of being able to buy anything. And, and it really frustrated the fire out of me. I'm like, these people are rude. I don't like it. I was, I was getting agitated. And I don't know how long we'd been shopping, but I decided to buy a shirt in the shop. So I grabbed the shirt off the rack. I went into the change room. And when I stood in front of the mirror and looked at me in the mirror, what had happened was because I was in a hurry in the morning, I just grabbed the shirt that I was wearing the day before, threw the shirt on without even checking. The day before, I'd spilt coffee on that shirt. And I had this massive, big, ugly coffee stain that I never saw and my good friend shopping with me didn't tell me, you have a big stain on your shirt. You may want to put a clean one on, John. And so I'm walking in. Oh, how much is the Versace? With a coffee stain on my shirt and wondering why. He's like, oh, it's Versace. And not thinking I was going to buy anything. And when I saw the stain that I didn't know I had, I knew I needed to get a different shirt if I didn't want to walk away around with a stain on the shirt. But I never saw it until I saw a reflection in the mirror. There's certain stains that we carry. It may have been you got abused when you were five and you're still angry and hurt, still resentful, still don't trust anybody. There may be bitterness that we got when our parents split up when we were young. Certain things that enter our soul that aren't as easy to change when we're just looking at somebody else's Christianity. But when we get into the presence of God on our own and we see ourselves 
in the reflection of him. And we see that there for the very first time. We go, I don't like that. And I need to change. Isaiah the prophet said this. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Isaiah chapter 6. He said he was high. He was lifted up. And he's trained. Fill the temple. He's, he's having this, he, he talks about a, 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 an angelic being, a cherubim, flying with six wings, two covering his face, two over his legs, and two that he's flying. He's having this God moment. In the year that King Uzziah died, it drove me into seeking God. And I saw, I saw the Lord. He, he was high, and then, then he goes, and I came undone. I saw God, and I came undone. Let me, let me paraphrase it to you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. When I saw the Lord, I saw myself. And when I saw myself, I nearly died. He says, because I realized for the first time, never seen this before. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst people with unclean lips. I never realized until I saw myself in the reflection of the Lord, I'm a gossip. I'm opinionated. I love to pull everybody else down. When I saw the Lord, I found out I have a lot of conversations that go, if I was the pastor of the church, I wouldn't do it like that. Even though you're not the pastor. God never called you to be the pastor. Not likely to call you to be the pastor. But if you were the pastor, you would do it differently. Like everyone who watches the Super Bowl. If I was the quarterback of the team, I would have, I would have thrown that differently. But you've never played football. And the Patriots aren't inviting you to come. We say, well, that doesn't really matter. I'm entitled to my opinion. You know you, your opinion, being locked in your opinion can kill you? We all fight for our opinion. We don't realize that sometimes holding on to an opinion can kill us. Naaman had leprosy. Naaman couldn't heal himself and tried a lot of things to get healed. And then he was told to go and visit the prophet, Elisha. When he went to Elisha's house, Elisha never even answered the door, sent the youth pastor. Naaman was a wealthy, successful business person, hung with the kings, leadership had authority. He's like, seriously, you sent the youth pastor out here? What does he want me to do? He says, go and dip in the river seven times, River Jordan. The Bible says that Naaman became furious. Look what he says. He's like, if I was the prophet, he says, I would have said a special prayer, waved my hand over the spot. Like he had this thing whole worked out on how he would have done it if he was the prophet. Yet he was the man that wasn't the prophet, going to the prophet to get healed by the prophet because he was dying of his leprosy. And he got so infuriated because he wouldn't have done it like that. That's not how I envisaged his opinion so strong that he walked away. And if he continued to walk away, he would have died because of his opinion. Until someone said to him, chill out. If the prophet had asked you to do something hard, wouldn't you have done that? Why don't you just give it a go? And then he followed what he disagreed with and he was rewarded with a healing. Sometimes we get lost in opinion. Sometimes we get lost in gossip. This is what Isaiah is saying. I didn't see that before in me. I, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't sleep around. I go to church regularly. 
I read my Bible. I thought I was doing pretty good until I saw myself in a reflection of the Lord. And then when I saw myself, I didn't like what I see. And he fine-tunes the little things in our life that only can be revealed to us when we see ourselves in the reflection and the illumination of Him. That's why Jesus said, on this rock, Peter, I'll build my church. When you see me with revelation, it'll change the way you do your life and it'll make you better, make you stronger. Paul prayed. I know you know Him and I know you're doing good and I know you're rocking up the church and I know you're connected to Christian community. But when I think about you, I pray God change them by letting them see Jesus like they've never seen him before. And that same principle applies to us today. If we can get ourselves in the presence of the Lord, I would suggest to you that Sunday morning is not the moment for that. It's a moment, but it's not the moment. It's a lifestyle of pursuing after and chasing the presence of God on a daily basis, in prayer, in worship, on our own, at home. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much out of time, but, but can I finish with this illustration for you? It, it may help you. Sunday morning, relationship with God is a little bit like the living room of our house. If you come to our house, the living room is open for everybody. The kids are there. You, you know, you guys would hang out. Your family would be there. Your kids could hang out. That, that's what Sunday in church is. We open the door for everybody. People that have never been in church before turn up on Sunday morning. People that have been in church once got hurt, coming back to check it out, are there on Sunday morning. Uh, the family's here. There's kids here. This is, this is open. It's the living room of the house of God. Everyone can come. And there's a level of intimacy that's appropriate for the living room. My wife sits beside me and I hold her hand, give her a kiss on the cheek, tell her I love her. That's appropriate level of intimacy in our lounge room, our living room. It would make you feel good because look, John and Anna love each other. If she sat at one end and I sat at the other and we didn't talk, then that level of, what's wrong with these people? So there's a level of intimacy that we have in worship on Sunday that's appropriate. Everyone feels comfortable. We can enter into the presence of God. But if Anna sat on my lap and we started to passionately kiss, and because we are Pentecostals, we start kissing in tongues, Now, there are some of you that even think that illustration is inappropriate. But if you were there on that day, you'd be like, hey, hey, there's a room for that. And it's not here in front of everybody. It's the bedroom. Go and find it. Why? Because in that situation, you understand there's a level of intimacy that goes deeper that's not appropriate for the living room. And that's Sunday. There's a level of intimacy that you need to connect with God with that's not appropriate on Sunday. Because when you get into those deep, intimate moments with God, it weirds other people out. And so you need to do that alone in your bedroom. People are always, we need that on Sunday morning. We need that. No, we don't. Sunday is the living room. We open the doors for everybody. This is, there's a certain level of intimacy here. But if this is it, you're missing out on so much. What Paul's praying happens in the bedroom. What Paul's praying happens on your own at home. What Paul's praying is something that happens just between you and God when you're alone on yourself, worshiping, seeking after his face, reading the Bible, spending time in prayer, diving into that, and then you see him and you see yourself. That's how our lives change. That's how our lives change.